Saludos, podcastos, a new day's <laughs> waiting to start. You must meet it, wake up and greet it with a podcast in your heart. <laughs> oh, the podcast in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, if you're listening to this episode, hopefully you downloaded it directly to your heart. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> that's what's... That's the ideal format. You're not supposed to listen to it on any other device. Yes, yes. This movie, I mean, it doesn't have a lot of songs. It's so true. I thought about trying to do uh, Aquarela do Brasil, but I don't know if you know this, Mom. I can't roll my R's. <laughs> you can't roll them at all? I can't roll my R's. I have, I have, like, genuinely tried, right? Because I did a little bit of voice acting. This right, is a, an right. important thing for a voice actor to be able to do. I can't. I've never figured it out. Huh. Well, it's a good thing you didn't take Spanish in high school. <laughs> You'd have had trouble. I think that might be the problem, right? I grew up with Hebrew and then I took French. So I see an R and I'm like, oh, yes, that letter is pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. Hard. But I took Spanish. So, you know. You want to start the show? See. Si. All right. Well, don't rub it in. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney animated canon and talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it, or don't. My name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined, as always, by my mother, Rue Coleman. Hello. How are you doing today, Mom? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. This, I think, I mean, this is the episode everyone's tuning in for. <laughs> This oh, is yeah. the movie everyone wants to hear about. They're like, enough with Bambi and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Nobody cares about these. You know what I'm here for? Saludos, amigos. <laughs> this week on the program, we are indeed beginning the wartime era. It's the start of a new era. Yay. And we are beginning it with 1942's Saludos, amigos, which you might have heard because like the movie, we have said Saludos, amigos 50 times in the first couple minutes of this podcast. A brief correction. Last week, I said that this was 1943's Saludos, amigos. That is incorrect. 1943 is when it premiered in America. 1942 is when it actually premiered. I don't know how many people care about this other than me, but I, uh, of course, am very ashamed. Yep, it did premiere in 42 in Brazil. Indeed it did. So mom, what does this movie mean to you? Well, I know I had seen it at least once before we watched it together, but I did not remember it hardly at all. <laughs> um, I feel like this one's a little hard to remember even when you have just watched it because there's no overarching plot. Most of the uh, short segments don't have much plot. It's very much almost a introduction to South America in a way. But I really enjoyed watching it together and I'm looking forward to talking about it. I learned a lot about it preparing for this podcast, so I have a higher appreciation for it now than I ever have. There you go. Uh, I definitely had never seen this before or any of the shorts that comprise it. Um, <laughs> I got it confused with next week's movie. The Three Caballeros, which I have to say like that because I can't roll my R's. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I agree. I liked it. It's a nice little movie. It's it's the shortest film we'll be covering on this show at a trim 42 minutes. Yeah, it hardly seems like you can count it as a feature if it's not even an hour, but it does count. But we can and we did and get ready for a two hour episode about it. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about the context behind this movie and let's also talk again we are starting the wartime era and what differentiates the wartime era from the golden era is that these are all going to be collections of shorts yeah we are entering shorts madness for the next three weeks <laughs> yep uh and the reason for this is uh as the name wartime era implies there is a minor historical event going on known as World War II. Yep, and there just wasn't enough money to make the full-length features. They had to cut back and just do these collections of shorts. You're absolutely correct, but not only was there enough money, there were not enough markets. We've talked about in previous correct. episodes how the European market was super important and 
didn't have that anymore. But also, a lot of the people working at Disney were drafted into war. So not only was there a shortage of money, there was a shortage of manpower and of markets. So as you say, they go back to making shorts and they release them in these package films. Yeah. Uh, But they are theatrically released films. They do meet our requirements. They are considered part of the Disney animated canon. (laughs) And so uh, due to the blood oath we swore at the beginning of the show, (laughs) we are honor bound to cover all of them. Yep. But also we kind of like them. It's true. And part of what I like about this show is that we're not just like, there are going to be a hundred podcasts that cover the Lion King. Right. There are going to be a hundred podcasts that cover Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But not very many are going to go ahead and do Saludos Amigos and all the rest of these wartime era short collections. Shorts collections? I'm trying to decide if I need to say it plural or not. Like, both plural. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you have one pair of shorts. Yes. I don't know what you call multiple pairs of shorts. Uh, I'm making a joke about pants. I know and you are. Yes. You might you might not have noticed because mom wasn't laughing. I assume we're having some kind of disconnect between <laughs> us on the Discord call. Check one, check two. <laughs> so the history of this movie uh, begins with Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yep. Who was uh, a president of the United States for a bit. <laughs> a long bit. Really... Where it starts is a little before him when the U.S. decided it was going to try its hand at some good old imperialism and colonialism and proving to the world that it was a major power. And it decided to do this in Latin America. And it did uh, a whole lot of horrible stuff, especially under Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson and some other bad people. Uh, You can look up the Spanish-American War. It is a horrible, horrible thing that our country did. Franklin D. Roosevelt didn't want to keep doing that. Yay! Uh, He wanted to denounce past U.S. interventionalism and uh, make peace with Latin America Mm -hmm. with our neighbors. Yeah. And appropriately enough, this foreign policy was known as the good neighbor policy. He was a big fan of things, names like that. Like he's always coming up with branding names for all of his policies and things absolutely the new deal the good neighbor policy uh, all good names for mostly good stuff the good neighbor policy terminated our occupation of haiti it led to uh, us making a treaty with cuba it led to us paying mexico for all of the oil we stole from them Or at least for some of the oil we stole from them. Well, at least it was a gesture. It also created the Office of the Coordinator of Inter-American Affairs, or OCIAA. This was an office that existed to redefine the way Americans perceived Latin Americans while at the same time maintaining hemispheric unity. So it's supposed (laughs) to make Americans like Latin Americans, and it's supposed to make Latin Americans like North Americans. Yep. It was essentially a propaganda department headed by a guy named Nelson Rockefeller. But, you know, to a certain extent, you could argue it was good propaganda because it's <laughs> it's not war propaganda. It's, yeah, it's promoting friendship propaganda. And so, unsurprisingly, there was a motion picture division of the OCIAA headed by a guy named John Hay Whitney, who was convinced of the power of film. He felt like this was... You know, he was kind of, you could say, an early uh, believer in the idea of cinema as what Roger Ebert would later call the great empathy machine, right? That there's something Uh. about movies, seeing and hearing people that, like, makes you have extreme empathy for them Mm -hmm. in a way that other works of art can't quite replicate. So he figured movies were really important. Yeah. And that's when he reaches out to Walt Disney. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Mom, because you watched a film. I did. So there's a documentary on Disney Plus called Walt and El Grupo that is about Walt and the animator's trip to South America and why and when and all about how it took place. So in 1941, John Hay Whitney did approach Walt to go to South America on a goodwill tour, basically. Walt was not sure about it until they said, and we want you to make a film too. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, we can do that. Um, He didn't really want to just go for no reason, like just go shake hands. That wasn't him. Um, It came at a really opportune time because the strike was 
was going on in the animation with the animation studio. And this was a really painful event for Walt. So getting away and going to South America was actually really good idea for him. <laughs> if I may interject, we talked about the strike a little bit on the Dumbo episode. These yeah. were disgruntled Disney animators who, you know, wanted good labor conditions as well they should. Yep. Uh, it left the studio with only 694 employees, which is not a lot. The U.S. government promised to pay for the entire trip, plus they were going to back the whatever film they were going to make after it. So Saludos Amigos is actually backed by the U.S. government and not a bank. <laughs> right. That was a big part of the impetus for making this movie right. is that, as we've talked about, the studio... The studio was, was in bad... Losing money. Yeah, losing money at a great rate. They didn't have enough money to make another full-length feature anyway. So because the government backed it, then they were able to do it. So in this Walton El Grupo, the group of animators, and they weren't just animators, it was a specially chosen group of 18 people who obviously could animate because they all could, but also, you know, some they all had specialties like music, producing. So they all had a different role. It was like a studio in miniature went with Walt on this trip. And they were called El Grupo because some of them were staying in a couple different hotels when they were first in uh, Rio. And they would have to go wait in the lobby um, to get told where they were supposed to go for the day. So they would wait till the... Like the bellboys going around calling out, El Grupo, El Grupo Disney. And so the name just stuck for the entire trip. They called themselves El Grupo the whole time. <laughs> Which I thought was a funny little um, yeah tidbit. That's fun. I like that uh, even in the, the 1940s, we're making like road trip jokes. Exactly. They were. This is a very good companion to Saludos Amigos. Um, I actually really recommend it. The way this uh, documentary is... They talked to people in the countries that they were visiting. So either people who met them or people who are the children or whatever uh, of the people that they met and worked with. I think there was only one of El Grupo left alive, but they talked to their friends and children and they actually had their children and even in one case grandchild reading the letters they wrote while they were on the journey so you get their own words and they show of course they took tons of film while they were there so they show some of the film they show many of the pictures and the drawings but they also superimpose those over how the locations look today so that was really cool to see how the place looks now and how it looked then and th what's changed and what hasn't. So they took these, uh, they took a nearly three month trip. Walt took his wife with him and they toured. They went to Brazil. They went to Rio de Janeiro first, and then they went to Argentina. And then they took a brief stop over in Montevideo, Uruguay, because they were actually having the premiere of Fantasia there. I mean, Fantasia, of course, had premiered other places first, but they right. went to the premiere of Fantasia in Uruguay because they were, you know, nearby. And like the entire city practically turned out for this. It was so, everybody was super excited. It was kind of funny what a big deal it was. They went back to Argentina again for a little bit. Then they went on to Chile and Lake Titicaca. And they do, just as in Saludos Amigos, they show how the, the group splits. That is what really happened, where some of them went north and some of them just went west. And they didn't spend much time in Chile at all, only about five days. And then their trip was over and it was about three months long and they didn't get back till the end of October. But they were inspired by so many things there. The strike was resolved while they were gone on the trip. So when they got home from the trip, as you say, the, the animation studio had been cut down to a much smaller amount of people. But as you said, then the war, it, it was only a, like just over a month later from when they got back from the trip that... The Pearl Harbor attack happened, so then the United States was in the war, and there was no going back to the way things were for a long time. Right. So that documentary was produced by the Walt Disney family. It's it's definitely gonna have a bit of an agenda. I'm not saying any of the information presented in it isn't true, yep. but it's gonna take a more hagiographic approach. They do at the end have an interesting segment where they talk to different people in these countries 
what is their reaction to Saludos Amigos and how do they feel about the segments that are supposed to represent their country? And the only ones who are really happy about their segment is Brazil. And that doesn't surprise me (laughs) Um, because they kind of have the best segment. (laughs) That's the, that's the fourth one, right? That's Aquarela, yeah, Aquarela, Aquarela de Brasil. I always want to say de because I'm so used to Spanish. (laughs) Aquarela do Brasil. <laughs> I should have practiced saying that more times before the podcast. And I did practice it too. Anyway. Well, that's, that segues perfectly into what I want to talk about. Because whenever we talk about a movie that is uh, from a culture different from our own as white Jewish Americans. Mm-hmm. When are we going to get a Jewish Disney princess, by the way? I don't know. They, they should definitely do one, though. Come on. And I know. I know they had... This is true. A Jewish Disney princess in that Elena of Avalor show. So they technically have a Jewish Disney princess in the show that already exists to say that they technically have a Hispanic Disney princess. That's true. But I don't care. (laughs) I want it to be in a feature film release. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, whenever we cover a movie from a culture that is not our own, we like to include in the description links to writings by the people who actually belong to that culture. Yeah. So I have two articles in the description of this episode this week that are from Latin American writers. The first one, Walt Disney's Latin American Tour by Marcela Cross, I think is how you say that. Remember, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm terrible at names. This is uh, writing for Jacobin, the, uh, the leftist magazine. She really dives into, in an article that uh, was translated into English, almost every scene of the film and how certain scenes were playing into stereotypes. Largely unknowingly, she concludes that the movie is, quote, an earnest, if naive, attempt to engage in authentic dialogue with Latin American culture. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, this is a movie white people were making about Latin American culture. Yeah. Another thing that she talks about, something that we didn't mention explicitly, which is part of the reason these movies were seen as so important Part of the reason the good neighbor policy ramps up in the 1940s is because some Latin American countries were potentially sympathetic to Nazism. Yeah, Germany was really trying to court some of these countries because, of course, they want to spread Nazism all over. And if they can get it into any part of the Americas, it makes it easier to take over the rest of them. So that is, you know... Because the one group's trying to befriend, the other group has to be like, no, no, we're really your friends. And by and large, these good neighbor policies to establish friendship with Latin America, by and large, worked. The Nazis weren't able to establish as much of a stronghold there. Historians kind of debate how important, like, Disney's contribution was, but it was definitely part of it. Yeah. But so one of the things she talks about in this article is that the Spanish and Portuguese translations of a lot of the things in the movie, especially the songs, Uh are a lot more overt. They actually talk about being good neighbors. Uh, They make more explicit references to joining the American war effort. (laughs) These things are hidden from the English language release, which we, of course, both watched. Yeah. And so she talks about how, you know, the portrayal of indigenous people in the first short might be seen as kind of problematic and and different things like that. I highly recommend you read the article because it's very long, but it's very fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, I can't necessarily summarize it here. Uh, She also links to a lot of other Latin American sources on the movie, including this very famous, famous article by two people whose name I'm going to mispronounce again, I think Ariel Dorfman and Armand Matelart wrote an essay that translates to How to Read Donald Duck, which was one of the first articles to put forth the idea of cultural imperialism, which she argues this movie kind of falls into. (laughs) The second article that I'm sharing is called The Real Story Behind the Three Caballeros, although it also talks about Saludos Amigos, written by Alexander Ibarra who is himself a filmmaker. Uh-huh. He has a more positive view of the movie. He talks about how in Latinx households in America, this is more of a staple. You know, obviously yeah. we talked about not having seen it as much. Yeah. He talks about how Jose is played by a, a Latin American actor. Yes. He ultimately argues that in his opinion, it is cultural appreciation. Uh-huh. But he does point out 
some things he's maybe a little more uncomfortable with, especially the fact that no Latinx people were involved in the production of the film, right? Yeah. You know, the yeah. behind the scenes, which it's 1944, so it's not surprising, but, you know, you can still be disappointed by it. Right, right. I completely understand. So that's, you know, you can check out uh, those opinions. At the time, it seems like it was largely pretty successful and pretty well liked in both Latin America and the United States. Yeah, I, I heard that it actually did well in both places, made money in both places. <laughs> exactly. The the questions about whether or not it's stereotypical, whether or not it is like cultural imperialism, these mostly come in the modern day, as yeah. you would expect. When yeah. we when we, you know, fortunately we have a bit more perspective on these things. At the time you know, it was just exciting that there was a Disney cartoon, like, for us, if you were in Latin America, uh -huh. you know, featuring us, talking yeah. about us. It's not all, you know, European fairy tales. Right. Uh, that's really all I had to talk about uh, of the background of it. Did you have anything else from Walt and El Grupo? Just that it was uh, it was really fun to see um, Walt dressing up in some of the native costumes, like the gaucho <laughs> outfit and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, I do actually, I have one more asterisk I need to put on this. And this is something that comes up in the first article we're linking to. The good neighbor policy, while Delano Roosevelt was in power and through the rest of World War II, was extremely successful, extremely well liked by Latin American people who became the part of the world that was most supportive of the United States. But we did end up backstabbing them in the cold war yeah because that's when we're going back into empire building mode that's when we're more concerned about soviet influence but also quote unquote more concerned about soviet influence as an excuse to invade places we want to invade yeah um, and so so we end up doing military interventions again turning our back on them which is part of the reason that i think this movie leaves a sour taste in some people's mouth now that makes sense i did see that um one of the trivia pieces that I saw said that this movie, though, did actually, because it shows in some of the live action segments, the big cities of South America, it showed people of the United States, hey, look, South America is not just native peoples and people in small rural areas. They actually have big cities and culture of their own. And people, dumb white people were like, what? <laughs> That, that is an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. It is something I meant to say. Um, because, yeah, up to this point, any time a Latin American person was in... And when I say this point, I don't just mean this movie. I mean the uh, OCIAA's Good Neighbor Policy Motion Picture Division. Uh -huh. Up until this point, Latin Americans in movies, they're portrayed as lazy and backwards and suspicious. Yeah. Very primitive. Some of these stereotypes... Uh, persist today when you hear people talking about Mexicans this way. This is what they're specifically combating with this. They're showing, you know, Latin American people as industrious and smart. Even the indigenous people in the first short, you know, we're showing how they have this rich culture and yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more as we get into it in a second here. But it is, it is trying to, which is part of the argument against is that it's almost leaning into the model minority idea right it's almost going too far the other direction but it's yeah it, it's a piece of propaganda it is yes. countering a very negative set of stereotypes yeah well there are bits of it that are problematic it is not a horrible you can't watch it anymore piece of propaganda i guess is what i'm trying to say no not at all <laughs> and i i certainly don't think it is as i say i by and large enjoyed this movie yeah me too let's talk about this movie we enjoyed Let's do that. It opens with a song. The title song. Saludos Amigos. This is kind of the only, I don't want to say it's the only song in the movie, but it's the only like traditional Disney musical type song. Saludos Amigos is the only original song made for this movie. The rest of the music had uh, was uh, more traditional music that had been written previously. It should be noted, this is the first movie... The first Disney movie, I should say, that credits voice actors. It credits narrator Fred Shields here in the opening credits. Nice, nice. And uh, it credits the voice actor. Uh, let me look up his name. I have it. Jose Oliveira as Jose Carioca, the parrot in Aquarela do Brasil. Right, which gets its own credit segment. It does. Towards the end. So yeah. it's not here, but it's there. 
Yeah. Also in these credits, at the end of them, we get a dedication. With sincere appreciation for the courtesy and cooperation shown us by the artists, musicians, and our many friends in Latin America, signed Walt Disney. Yeah, I thought that was a very nice touch. I mean, yeah. it's part of the goodwill, good neighbor thing, but it's still a very nice touch. There's live action. We're on a plane. Yep. It starts with a live action segment basically telling a very loose story of how they're going to South America to get inspiration. Mm -hmm. I like that when they cut outside of the plane, it's like animated uh -huh. and it's over in animated Latin America. Uh -huh. uh, and of course, they split up and go to Lake Titicaca. I will say it's funny that the shorts actually kind of go in reverse order of their actual journey, but that's not anything you would know without having watched the other documentary. <laughs> well, it is the way that it is the way that they show it in the short though. They show them like one group went to Brazil, one group went to Argentina, one group went to Chile, and one group went to Lake Titicaca. <laughs> and then they go in the reverse order of that. Except they mostly all went together. Oh, well. On the real journey, they all went together to Brazil. And then they all went together to Argentina. And then they kind of split up. And a few, some of them went to Lake Titicaca and some of them went to Chile. <laughs> well, there you go. So... I do like the cartoon map, though. Yes, like the cartoon map is very good. And it's... It's also, I'm sure, very helpful for people who aren't familiar with the geography of South America. Right. It makes me think of one of my favorite jokes, which is uh, saying, I'm so American, I can't find it on a map. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have the live action arrival in Lake Titicaca. It's market day. We're seeing the fashions. And the all the things they're selling with the basket boats and the pottery and... The clothing and the fabric. We see interspersed throughout this, the artist drawing what we're seeing, which is one of my favorite touches in this movie. Yeah. I really like the live action segments. <laughs> As someone who has not traveled much, who I have to say has never been to South America, it's, it is cool for me to see these things. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see the artist's interpretations. Yes, and I really love the artist's drawing what we're seeing um, because you can kind of see the Disneyfication of it in real time. <laughs> like, I really like here how we see real llamas and right. then a couple of minutes later, once the short starts, we see a cartoon llama and yeah. it's the juxtaposition of that I really enjoy because it's like you can see how they approach adding character to an animal. Yeah. We also in the live action section are introduced to the music. We're told their melodies are strange and exotic and then it's just <laughs> a guy playing the flute which i thought was like <laughs> kind of funny, like ah a flute strange and exotic <laughs> kind of shows you know some of the some of the questionable language um the the great joke of course here is uh when you see the walking haystacks yeah. <laughs> and then they're uh bur burros carrying a bunch of hay and stuff right right you cut to the other side and you yeah. see the there are donkeys, but from behind, it does look like it's just walking haystacks. Yeah. They they talk about the llamas and how haughty they are, and they say, Yes, a llama can make you feel awfully unimportant. <laughs> I like how they're drawing the llamas with, like, stuck-up fancy glasses. Yes, Fred Shields here, by the way. I, I enjoy his narration. He's, he's really the main character of the movie. I mean, he's talking through pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, he does a great job. We shift into animation. And we are told that we are going to see a travelogue through the eyes of a celebrated American tourist. And it's, of course, Donald Duck being a tourist at Lake Titicaca. Played by Clarence Nash, who we talked about last week, who also dubbed the Portuguese, Spanish, and Italian versions. <laughs> Imagine doing the Donald Duck voice in <laughs> Spanish. I, I can't even imagine, but I wish I could hear it. Actually, I wonder if you put it, like, you could have it maybe do different languages on Disney+. Plus. That would be cool. I didn't try it, though. That's, I should say, the, the actors in this movie, because sometimes I like to spotlight the actors, the only actors are Pinto Kolvig, who was the original voice of Goofy, who plays Goofy, Clarence Nash, <laughs> the original voice of Donald Duck playing Donald Duck, Right. Jose Oliveira as Jose Carioca, obviously. Yep. Fred Shields is a narrator. Everybody else just as themselves because it's from the live action bits <laughs> exactly and then Stuart Buchanan one of the people who worked at Disney 
as a flight attendant because the the stuff on a plane isn't real. <laughs> they forgot to film that stuff, so they had to <laughs> fake it. <laughs> I think there's, you know, are we filming on planes yet at this time? Well, I mean, people could. They could have. They had cameras. You don't actually... They're not forced to, like, keep their seat buckled the whole time on the plane. That's true. They didn't have That's as many... Uh, Safety regulations. They probably could smoke on those planes, too. Oh, 100% they could smoke <laughs> on those planes. But you, I don't know how well you could sketch, you know, kind of a bumpy ride. Oh, Maybe that's well, the idea. Yeah. I don't know. But the stuff, quote-unquote, on a plane is on a set. The rest of it is real. I mean, they didn't build a fake Latin America. No. They just realized after they got back, hey, we should have included bits when we were on the plane, and we didn't. So they actually had everybody get dressed again in the clothes they wore on the plane so that they could ref- so they could film it. That's fun. Yeah, because they had taken photographs. So there was, you know, photographic evidence of what people looked like. <laughs> so they wanted to make sure that they looked the same. I-, I love that they went to that level of detail when who would know. You know, who watching this movie in the 1940s is like, hey, he had a yellow shirt. <laughs> this movie's garbage. <laughs> Anyway, back to Donald Duck. Yes, so this is the first short, which is just called Lake Titicaca. It moves really fast. I mean, this whole movie moves really fast. It's uh, true. It's very short. <laughs> yeah. And uh, was made pretty cheaply. I feel like this is kind of a standard Donald Duck short with him getting into trouble doing normal things, but just in a in a South American setting. So these would be normal touristy things, but of course... Donald has to have adventures with them and they're difficult for him. Yeah, I would basically agree. What I wrote down is that this short was a little too funny to be educational and a little too educational to be really funny. Yeah. Like it's it's not going toe to toe with the best Donald Duck cartoons, which are no. just like anarchy. <laughs> yeah, it had some funny stuff. The extremely wide rear end of the llama was highly amusing to me for some reason. Probably because I'm used to the, the skinny llama in um <laughs> Emperor's, New in Emperor's New Groove. We should talk about it. Later. But uh, one thing about this section, basically we go through everything we just went through in live action, but now animated and with Donald. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a lot sillier. Like there, there is a llama mm-hmm. who can be controlled with a flute <laughs> like a like a snake charmer. Yeah. And so there's all kinds of business with that where Donald like plays this crazy flute song and the llama has to do crazy movements to it. Or he plays it badly and the llama's like, no. <laughs> we talked about, and again, you should read about how these portrayals of the uh, local people here are slightly problematic. But it should be noted, I think, that the Latin American people in this short are portrayed as kind and good as and smart. There's a little yeah. boy with the flute. The punchline is always Donald as the dumb American tourist. Exactly. As in all the best Donald Duck shorts, Donald is the punchline. He is. And so that that's very good. None of the people are the punchline. It's just him <laughs> having trouble. So that's good. Which is how it, you know, Mickey Mouse often finds himself in a troublesome situation. Donald almost always makes his own <laughs> trouble by being a jerk. Frequently. What do you think of like the Donald Duck shorts in general? Because this movie gives us a chance to talk about the Donald Duck and Goofy shorts. I like them. I like them quite a bit. I especially like Donald versus Chip and Dale. Those ones are really funny. <laughs> um, Chip and Dale usually win. <laughs> yes. Um, in the Donald versus Chip and Dale shorts. Occasionally they'll cooperate for a little bit. They're a lot of fun. I like watching them. I also, I mean, pretty much all the old shorts I, I really love. And that's, yeah. we've also talked about that uh, on this show. Uh-huh. I, I was thinking about while watching this that I think the goofy shorts, especially at their best, are my favorite. <laughs> I think some of the goofy shorts are just amazing. Yeah. Amazing comedy but i think i kind of like donald more as a character <laughs> i like him most of the time i don't always there are times a lot of times the ones with him and his nephews are not my favorite yeah for some reason when he gets when when chipmunks get the better of donald i think it's <laughs> hilarious but when little kids get the better of donald i'm like that's not right <laughs> well again i'll tell you what i think 
the problem is, in most of the nephew shorts, especially the earlier ones, the nephews are the jerks. They are. And they are, like, mean to Donald. Yeah. Whereas in the chipmunks, again, it's usually like Donald is doing something he shouldn't be, and the chipmunks sit back in for him. Donald needs to be the villain. Not uh-huh. that he's, like, evil. Yeah. But he need he needs to be the one causing problems. Yeah. He's getting in trouble from his own problems or his own losing his temper as opposed to somebody else's doing badness at him. Exactly. I have to call out Modern Inventions from 1937, same year as Snow White, is a Donald Duck short that might be my favorite Disney short. <laughs> uh, you can look this up and find it. It is, <laughs> it is just... So funny, he tours this museum of modern marvels with modern technology. And first of all, it's funny to see what, you know, ultra-modern technology uh, is in 1937. Yeah. And again, all over the museum, like, on every object, it says, don't touch. Like, don't interact with, just look at it. (laughs) And of course, he messes with all of them and gets himself into horrible trouble. And there's a running gag with a robot that... (laughs) just destroys me every time yeah so this is not quite as funny as that but it is funny i i got a big laugh when donald is on the llama on the suspension bridge (laughs) and really all of the the business that they have there yeah but especially the first time donald like the narrator says something about it being a suspension bridge and donald is like rot suspension bridge and then he looks down and he just has this big hilarious reaction to how far down the ground is yeah and then he knocks all of the wood out of the suspension bridge and he himself has to be the plank the whole business with the planks is quite funny and it's the part of the short where it stops being educational at all i would say and it's just like i don't know here's donald doing jokes on a bridge and i'm like thank you yeah uh do you have anything else to say about this short not really i had the least comments on this one uh so then of course another live action section they talk about how there were no cameras allowed in chile so the animators have to work from memory and sketches and and they talk about how there's this pedro character who they come up with who they really like and it shows the different iterations of the character and stuff it's like we're seeing the behind the scenes of the short and i don't know how much of this is like actual preliminary sketches actual (laughs) behind the scenes i don't know and how much of it is totally staged for the movie but it's really fun to see nonetheless yeah it's like having your behind the scenes in the middle of your movie right which i wish they all did that (laughs) well it might not work for some of them might mess up the pacing i wish that they uh put the 90 minute director and the jedi (laughs) documentary into the two and a half hour last jedi movie just interspersed throughout (laughs) no that would be a bad plan just watch them back to back you're okay i'll do what i want (laughs) yeah and so then there's pedro who is an airplane, and this is my least favorite short. (laughs) Pedro, um, basically they were most inspired by their trip to Chile when they had to fly over the Andes Mountains, and that's what they decided to portray with this little short. The anthropomorphic airplane family is quite silly. Yep, there's uh, there's Mama, Papa, and Baby Pedro, and they're all airplanes. I like the Uh, fact that even though they say them as Mama and Papa... On their airplane hangers, it actually says Papa and Mama with the accents mm-hmm. on them. I thought it was weird that uh, the narrator's like, Papa, a male plane, Mama, <laughs> a female plane, and baby Pedro, who someday will grow up. And I'm like, how alive are these plays? Okay, those are the questions you can't ask when it comes to things <laughs> like this. Just like when you're watching the Cars movies, which we will not be talking about because those are Pixar. <laughs> I was going to say, it's. Uh, I, I really did think about... I mean, I was making jokes about this being related to the Planes spinoffs, like Planes Fire and Rescue, <laughs> which it does feel like. But yeah, that really made me think of the Cars movies. Here's the thing. I'm happy to just accept, like, anthropomorphic planes until you're saying it's a male plane. And then it's like, well, what does that mean, though? Just <laughs> if you let just it say go. It's just Papa, let it go. I know. They should. I won't let it go. They didn't need to. They didn't need to go into those details. That's for sure. However, I did find it quite funny when he's at school and learning anatomy and they showed the bones <laughs> of a plane. And the yes. plane has a tailbone that looks like a person tailbone. <laughs> yes, that's that's literally the next thing I wrote down my notes was the plain skeleton. That, that was so I weird. <laughs> that's so 
funny. That one was very he has, funny. He has to go to plane school and there's a plane skeleton. Yes. That the plane school was funny too. And then of course Pedro must fly the mail over the Andes Mountains because his parents are sick. Papa's sick and Mama has high oil pressure, so she can't go over the mountain because oh it's nineteen forty two and women are delicate and can't do anything. <laughs> Just you wait till the war. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out when they have to do all the things because the men are gone. Anyway, I did like how they show the path the planes actually had to fly to get over the mountains, like the spiraling up and up and up and up and up to get through the one mountain pass because you can't really fly over the top of the mountains very easily because these mountains are very high and very treacherous. It's actually much safer the way longer to fly around. <laughs> right. They're flying from Mendoza to Santiago, which they say several times. He has Technically, a couple of I encounter- think he's going from Santiago to Mendoza and back. I, I think you're right. Yeah. And he keeps encountering Aconcagua. Yeah. Aconcagua. The big bully mountain, <laughs> which has an angry face. Yes. It's an actual mountain. It is one of the tallest mountains. I believe it is the tallest mountain in South America. It is an actually tall mountain you cannot fly over because it is too tall. But he's warned about it because of the storms and dangerous winds near the mountain. He picks up the mail. He runs into a vulture, which makes the strangest sound I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) It's true. It's like, what? It makes like a weird, like, and you're like, what? What did that vulture just say? Excuse me? But the vulture is doing like insulting uh, gestures at Pedro. So Pedro chases him. And uh, he gets baited into the dangerous cross currents and sudden storms around Aconcagua. Oh no. He loses the mail in the storm, but he manages to pick it up and he pulls up and pulls up and he gets out of the storm, but he runs out of gas. And the narrator keeps telling him to abandon the mail. Just go on, get yourself out of here. The narrator keeps talking to him in this one and that one's kind of funny. It seems like Pedro might be dead. We see his parents and we see air traffic control be like, yep, dead baby. (laughs) They are. That's it. We got a a dead baby. Oh, by the way, uh, plain mom status. Plain mom status. Um, high oil pressure. (laughs) And sad when she thinks Pedro is dead. But then Pedro comes limping back and she's so happy that he's alive and extremely proud that he managed to deliver the mail. Which is a single postcard. A single postcard with a really stupid message. I think it's literally just wish you were here. Yeah, I think it's uh, having a good time, wish you were here, the standard postcard message. However, it is addressed to Jorge Delano, who is a uh, filmmaker that Disney befriended in Chile. And he put that, they put that name in there as a little um, joke for him. I, I like that a lot. I I didn't know that. That's really cool. I Um, thought that would be a fun trivia you'd enjoy. I did enjoy it. And and I enjoyed the punchline. Right. This this bit where, you know, all of this mail that is so important and they talk about as being like such a noble cause of delivering the mail is (laughs) really stupid. Um, I did not necessarily enjoy when Pedro comes back, uh, the narrator goes, how is he still alive? Don't ask me how he did it. And I'm like, okay, but (laughs) you can't just do that in a movie. I know. You can't, you know. Yeah. You can't just be like in, in, if the end of Snow White, she's just awake and it's like, don't ask me how she did it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, they, they, it's like they wrote themselves into a hole and couldn't figure out how to get out. The Lion King cuts straight from Simba goofing off with Timon and Pumbaa to Simba being the king at the end. And it's like, don't ask me how he did it. Now that I think about it, this is actually the perfect way to write a movie. (laughs) It only works in Emperor's New Groove, which we have already talked about. Hmm. Yes, it's true. In Emperor's New Groove, of course, they have the, how did we get here, Kronk? But this is important. That is not the conflict of the movie. It's true. That is a gag about a throwaway plot hole. Yes. Look, I mean, I'm putting a lot of thought into Pedro, the small anthropomorphic airplane. I know. This is my least favorite short. I thought it was a little boring. I feel like it's the least funny of the four. Mm-hmm. This is the only one that I think I'd, I feel like I'd seen that segment potentially more than once. I, I heard that that one got like made into a standalone segment a lot. Possibly. But it, it wasn't how I remembered it. So maybe I'm thinking of some other short about a plane. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe you were thinking of Planes, Fire, and Rescue. I have not watched that. <laughs> Despite my repeated insistence that uh, it's crucial context for this movie. <laughs> which I keep saying solely because I want you to watch Planes, Fire, and Rescue. Uh-huh. Just to... Just to so you can suffer. Uh-huh. Anyway, we'll probably cut all of that. Um, so, like, what do you think of this short? Do you agree it's your least favorite? Or do you like it? Is it your favorite? It is not my favorite. I would say these first two are my least favorite. <laughs> I Yes, absolutely. I, I can't say that... I, I, I have to say that I didn't enjoy either of the first two shorts as much as I enjoyed the later ones. I mean, I didn't hate either of them, and I, I find it hard to pick between the two, which I like the least. That's fair. So then, live-action Buenos Aires. Yeah, you actually get to see Walt in the movie. Yes. Is this the only one in the Disney animated canon where you actually get to see Walt? Possibly. I can't remember I if so. he's in any of the live-action <laughs> segments of Three Caballeros. Come back next week right. and we'll let you know. <laughs> right. He might be in some of the other, or in one of the other wartime movies but uh yeah but it's true you you actually see walt disney here with his very trademark walt disney look yep they meet an argentinian artist who draws gaucho yep and they get they uh is this where they pretty sure this is the also the live action segment where they show them going to like a party on a ranch yes. where they right after they see the artist drawing Gaucho, yeah. as the movie tells it at least, they like they want to go see some in person. So they go to what's basically, you know, it's not one to one, but basically a rodeo. Yeah. And like a big party with people dressed up as Gaucho. The Gaucho, for anyone who doesn't uh, know. You can say Gaucho's plural, too. You don't have I, to just say okay. singular. <laughs> I, I remember I, I don't know anything. Yes. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the Gaucho are kind of like South American cowboys. There are these outlaws who were skilled horsemen, and, you know, they're similar to the cowboy ideals. They're supposed to be brave and a little unruly, and they're these symbols of national pride in Argentina, and they're also important in Uruguay and Paraguay and southern Brazil and Chile. So they're a big deal. Yep. And yeah, we have all these these live-action gauchos, and we are seeing their equipment and their food and their dances. Some of it is just... Argentinian specific and some of it's gaucho specific, but they basically are having, as you say, this big old party <laughs> mm -hmm. where they get to experience a whole bunch of things. The tune starts and there's this big buildup about, you know, this reminded us of our own North American cowboy, this noble, wonderful figure, blah, 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 <laughs> we're zooming into a cartoon map of Texas. And I was like, are we actually going to have something about a North American cowboy in this? <laughs> nope, we are going to have Goofy, in a short that is called El Gaucho Goofy. Yes. He gets picked up and transported to Argentina and turned into a gaucho. <laughs> he's literally, like, stripped by the narrator. He's put in gaucho clothes, which they show one at a time. Uh, and, and they tell you the names of them really fast, but I can't remember them all. At the end, they say, and then there's the poncho, which pretty much covers everything. And that cracked me up so bad. That cracked me up too. It got that us was a it's a stupid, stupid joke, but it was so good. What I here's what I like about El Gaucho Goofy. This is like a Goofy How to short, which are the best exactly. Goofy shorts ever. This is Goofy How to Be a Gaucho, and it's amazing. <laughs> that's, exa that's exactly what it is for anyone who you know sadly doesn't know uh, their Disney history. There were several different styles of Goofy cartoons, but Definitely the best one were how to whatever with Goofy. How do you describe it? It's Goofy trying to complete usually a pretty mundane task. Well, it might be like Goofy learning how to ski. How to ski. Yes. And the narrator will explain how to do the things. And Goofy will maybe start off doing them correctly. But they always go completely wrong. But usually the narrator just keeps going on like he's getting it right. Occasionally, the narrator will make a comment about his, you know, difficulties. But usually the narrator's just going on as if it was any normal how-to kind of short. And, like, everything's going correctly. But Goofy in the background, you know, in the actual what you're watching is, like, go nuts. Or whatever's going wrong, you know? Right. It's They're often predicated on this irony, right? Where the narrator will say, like, you know, this thing happens. And Goofy is maybe doing a very literal interpretation of that that is very, very Sometimes, wrong. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, it, sometimes the narrator is almost hostile, as here where he talks about, like, we th- wondered what would happen if we whisked this American cowboy away, and then, you know, <laughs> Goofy <laughs> is pulled by the unseen hand of God. Yeah. Stuff like that. And this, I agree, this is my favorite segment of this movie, and the <laughs> reason it's my favorite segment is because it is just a how-to gaucho cartoon. <laughs> it is just a how-to goofy cartoon. Yeah. It's really silly. The animation is incredibly fluid. Yep. They're having a they're having a blast, like on all the goofy shorts, and yep. it made me laugh a lot. I, I wrote down in my notes, his horse is the worst. <laughs> yes. Again, it's in these shorts, it's almost like the world itself is hostile to Goofy. Yeah. So the narrator's against him, the horse is against him. I like the sliding scene changes in this short as well. Yes. Which push the characters off the screen. Like normally, of course, if you've got some sort of a sliding scene change, it just covers over your previous scene. This actually like will push the horse and Goofy, whichever direction it's sliding. Like it pushes right. them. It's quite funny. One of my favorite moments is when they're chasing an Avestruz uh-huh. or Ostrich. The first First time they do it, it's pretty normal, and I was like, I'm surprised how jokeless it is. <laughs> and then, of course, they have to do the slow motion capture. Oh my gosh, I love this. Whenever they do the slow motion version in a goofy how-to, that's the best. Because it's never what they did the first time. Correct. Because he's using the bolas to try to... Um, catch the ostrich and so the first time of course it works and then the slow motion version he catches them all (laughs) yeah it becomes chaos and it speeds up to the point that the narrator begins talking in a a super high pitch sped up voice (laughs) it's so funny because like they change the speed of the narrator's voice but it's really him just talking differently it's it's total Uh... chaos it's lovely this also has a joke that is in multiple movies Every time it's in a movie, I laugh at it. This is just one of my favorite jokes, which is nightfalls, literally nightfalls. Yes. Why is that always a funny joke? It's always a funny joke. It's like it comes down like a curtain or, you know, like a pile of rocks. (laughs) I don't know. It's just. It is. It's just funny. funny. He's dancing with the horse. The horse is wearing a dress. Yep, uh, we show all kinds of fun dances. Again, these are very well animated. Yeah. They are trying to get it right. They are trying to replicate what they saw. Yeah, because they did get to see a bunch of their Argentinian native dances. That's one of the things they specifically saw while they were there. So they're trying to animate them and represent them. And that's basically the end. Then he gets whisked back to Texas. Yep. Bet you, hope, hope you had fun. <laughs> it should be noted... Perhaps a controversial scene from this short was removed on the VHS and DVD release and also on the Disney Plus version that we watched. Do you know what controversial scene was removed? Yeah, I did read about this. Goofy lights up a cigarette just before he's whisked away from Texas, right? Yes. (gasps) Oh, the horror. Yeah. Which, like, come on. (laughs) I mean, I get, listen, smoking is bad. This isn't a pro-smoking podcast, but. Right. Come on. Come on, though. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Because they didn't cut out all smoking from this. No. See no, the it's next just, segment. It's just this <laughs> one scene. It's They can't have Goofy, who's like a flagship character. They don't want I him see. to be smoking. That's, that's the eh. difference. Yeah. Which is dumb. I was wondering if the reason why Donald and Goofy are the ones who are featured in this one is because Mickey got featured in Fantasia. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that. I don't know that that's the reason i i don't know i don't know either i I don't know why those two were picked i'll tell you if i had to guess and this is pure speculation i feel like it's because donald and goofy are kind of the more innately funny characters you know mickey has funny shorts but he himself is kind of a slightly spacey maybe but well-meaning guy yeah whereas like donald plus a place is an entire concept for a short, right? Like <laughs> right. Goofy plus Gaucho. Great. We have a whole short right there. It's just going to be chaos. Yeah. They had done the first how to Goofy short before this. So they had already started that. Um, yeah. Series. I, I thought they had. Yeah. And then we have live action footage in Rio de Janeiro. And we're like basically at the end of the movie. Yep. Getting uh, there. Back to Brazil. It's incredibly pretty footage and we see incredibly pretty art i love how i have also not traveled to south america at all 
And I did not remember having seen that in Rio they've got the mosaic sidewalks. Yes. So beautiful. They also have the very famous Jesus statue. Yep. Cristo Redentor. Again, I know. <laughs> Christ the Redeemer, which uh, really stood out to me because um, in the video game Civilization VI, <laughs> you can build it as a wonder and it gives you extra faith and religious tourism. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. But, I mean, it's it's a cool statue. You know, Rio de Janeiro, who knew? One of the most famously beautiful cities is uh, pretty nice it, in a movie. Yeah, it's amazingly beautiful. They talk a little bit about uh, old Papagayo, who is a parrot who appears in a lot of folk stories. In this, they give him a wardrobe, and he gets like a little suit and a silly hat and a cigar. And an umbrella. And now he's Jose Carioca. Yes. They also show the samba dance and the carnival yep. in Rio. Yep. And they talk about how different songs are written for the carnival. And they say that they picked one, Aquarela do Brasil, which we mentioned, Watercolor of Brazil. Uh-huh. This is where we get the like second credit sequence specifically for this short that credits the voice of Jose. And it's funny. I don't know if you had seen this. The singer, Jose Oliveira, he was also sometimes called Zacarioca as his nickname. I might have known that. But so they took his first name and his nickname to make the name of the parrot. He worked a lot with uh, Carmen Miranda. Yeah. Whose successful movies at 20th Century Fox were also part of the same Good Neighbor film program. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was working at this uh, one casino that they went to that had this, they put on this huge production when Disney and El Grupo came to visit. Um, <laughs> they had Fantasia themed decorations in the place and... Apparently, a lot of the parties would just go all night long. I mean, I'm glad they had fun. <laughs> they did. I do. Now, I will say, I think this Aquarela do Brasil short is my favorite. It's so beautiful. That doesn't surprise me <laughs> that it's your favorite. It, that is I your love. Fav- I mean, El first Gaucho of all, it's goofy great. made me laugh more. I will say that one's funnier. But this one, just this is the one where the animation gets to shine. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this one is great. I agree with you that the first two are the weakest and the second two are the best. For me, yeah. it goes Goofy, Aquarela, Lake Titicaca, Pedro. Uh-huh. Sorry, every live action segment, then Pedro. <laughs> the opening <laughs> credits. Yeah. But I'm not surprised this is your favorite because... It's the most Fantasia-like, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. I didn't think about it like that, but it is. It's based around a couple signature songs. It starts out with these paintbrushes literally making a watercolor of Brazil. Yeah, I love it. Which looks amazing. And they, they do stuff like the paintbrush draws a bunch of bananas, and then it puts a big splash of black ink on it, and the bananas turn into toucans. Yeah, the things turning into other things was cracking me up to the tree that turns into a bird's tail and yes um, i and i like how the paintbrush is frequently moving in time with the music and then uh guess who's back guess who gets drawn back into the image donald and then jose <laughs> yep and donald also it's fun because he like takes some of the ink and he draws a like nasty little stick figure yeah he's like i can do that that looks like fun <laughs> do it in the voice no i can't do donald's voice <laughs> Oh, we were trying to do a Donald voice and it just doesn't work. You were saying, though. Um, I'm glad that Donald's little drawing doesn't come to life. No, we don't need to be doing, you know, Duck Amuck, yeah. which is a great short, but also is something else. Yeah. When Jose is completely drawn and then they meet, um, Jose imitating Donald is hilarious. And he only speaks Portuguese at, at first. first. Yes. And they don't translate any of it, nope. which is also good. Um, and they do have a funny joke where Donald is trying to figure out what he's saying by opening up a billion books <laughs> right before he starts speaking English. I do like that Jose is a big fan of Donald. I don't It's just like a fun <laughs> touch that he's like, oh, you're Donald. And that's when he's imitating him. Yep. Doing the. <laughs> I like stuff like that. I like it in the Muppets, too, where it's like these characters are the actors yeah. playing their characters. Yeah. He gives this huge monologue that's basically like all the different things you can do in Rio de Janeiro. And in Portuguese, he's like, we can look at this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And then he says in English, in other words, let's go out on the town. Yeah. I was a little bothered by Donald immediately then calling him Joe, which 
a little weird. That's a little weird. I probably am more affected by that because the habit of people to shorten your name when you first meet when they first meet you is a little weird. It's a thing that Americans do and it's not really the sort of thing that is done everywhere. <laughs> but right. like, and also like, you know, the the long history of Americans not pronouncing what we perceive as foreign names correctly. Or immediately trying to change them into Americanized versions, right? Exactly. I mean, yes, Jose is Joseph in English, but that's not his name. His name is Jose. Whatever. Right. He only calls him Joe the once, and so I was not too bothered by it, but it was a little bit like, what? So they're going on the uh, watercolor town. Again, it's the animated version of the live action Rio de, yep. de Janeiro. We just saw Jose starts doing the samba. Gotta teach him the samba. Which is a really great little piece of animation. He starts playing his umbrella like a flute and then like a guitar. The paintbrush is drying the town as they walk through it. Donald can't dance until he's drunk and starts hiccuping in rhythm. I do like how it's it's like his, his bottom gets the rhythm first. <laughs> Yet another <laughs> Disney butt joke. Of course, of course. Donald is dancing with these silhouettes of human people and it's a great visual and we pan up through the animated Brazil, which is a great visual up into the sky and that's the end of the movie. Yep. That was the movie. And they, they actually show the names of some of the famous clubs and casinos that they're visiting. The real names of them are in the animation too. But yeah, yeah. it's over. It was very short. Which means now it's time for sequels. Spin-offs, remakes, <laughs> rides, and reboots. Well, the most obvious sequel is The Three Caballeros. Right, the uh, the sequel, sort of. It's, yeah, it's not, not exactly you know. a sequel, but it does have Donald again. It does have Jose again. Yep. I think it's mostly in Mexico, but I can't remember because we haven't rewatched that one again. And most of the, like spin-offs and and rides and attractions and things that come from this movie really come from the three caballeros it's right? true jose is in a lot of stuff but he's always with the three caballeros that yeah. that movie had much more of a cultural impact it's a much longer movie however um they actually made a live action movie called south of the border with disney it's a 1942 disney short documentary film basically they took the live action stuff they shot when they were working on saludos amigos and they made a documentary about just it <laughs> so like you could say walton el grupo is kind of the remake of south of the border with disney <laughs> sure the modern version. <laughs> the most interesting spinoff of this movie specifically, I think, is that there is a Chilean cartoonist named, and again, I cannot roll my R's, so Rene Rios, and I'm so sorry. Okay, I got it. Rene Rios Bot Botiguer, probably. Uh, see? See? You thought you were going to show me up. I know. He's got a, he's got a difficult last name. Sorry. Fortunately, he's also more famously known as Peppo. <laughs> I could say Peppo. That was his nickname? Yeah. We can all say Peppo. Really did not like the Pedro short. He was offended by it. He thought that a small, incapable airplane was a slight to Chileans. He, he thought that this was specifically saying, like, you know, this is you. You're this little baby who can't carry one postcard. Makes sense. So he wanted to make a character... That would rival Disney's characters in terms of design. And basically he had a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> so he created a character named Condorito. Or Little Condor. Yeah. Was a Chilean comic book and comic strip featuring a little condor. <laughs> Condorito is supposed to be a positive representation of the Chilean people. Uh-huh. He is a little lazy and unambitious. But he's also kind and loyal and friendly and smart he solves his problems with his brains, and he kind of just looks like a human guy with a condor head. <laughs> this character was a huge, 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 huge hit, and he did, you know, you could argue he sort of became the Chilean Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so, so inspired by, and it's good, you know, good thing to happen. Yes, good job, Peppo. Uh, you definitely succeeded at what you wanted to do. Uh... So yeah, that's, I mean, that's really it. Again, yeah. this movie has not left uh, a big footprint, which makes sense because it's a short movie. <laughs> it has a little baby footprint. It would have little feet. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, we don't 
rate movies on a numerical scale. We ask each other two questions, the first of which is, Mom, would you recommend this movie? Yes, yes, I would recommend this movie. And I don't even think I would have to put any qualifiers on it. I might tell somebody this is going to have some live action and be short, um, but I would say, yeah, it's worth watching. It's worth watching at least once. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's a, it's a, like, it's a weird little curiosity, but it's a fun collection of shorts with some nice live action footage. I don't think it's super successful as like an educational film. No. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I know anything more really about Latin America other (laughs) than like llamas exist. (laughs) Well, hopefully you knew that before. (laughs) No, I'm very stupid. (laughs) But it's, it's a totally fun collection of shorts and like Disney shorts are good things. Yep. Definitely, if nothing else, Gaucho Goofy and Aquarela are worth the price of admission. Yep. Are worth your, again, 42 minutes. Like It's true. Shorter than every episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> so would you show this to a child? I did not actually show this to my children, but not for any reason like I thought you'd be upset or it was mainly because it wasn't really as available. No. It hasn't been released on video sets as often, I believe, that I, we had the opportunity to get it at least once, but it wasn't as readily available until now with Disney+. Plus. Of course, you can watch it whenever you want. It was released on Laserdisc. <laughs> it got one VHS release. It got a couple DVD releases. The, <laughs> the most popular DVD release in the US was as a bonus feature on the Walt and El Grupo DVD. <laughs> yeah, see? And a lot of times they combine Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros together in one, too. Yes, that's the Blu-ray you can... The only Blu-ray you can get is the combination of the two. Yeah. I wanted to say, though, about that bonus feature release, <laughs> that is also the only unedited release. That's that is the funny. only place if you want to see the scene with Goofy and the cigar. <laughs> Oh, man. You have to buy Walt and El Grupo. It's very strange. That is very strange. We didn't own it when I was growing up, the VHS or whatever, but we... The VHS came out in the year 2000. Yeah, but we had recorded it off of either the Disney Channel or something like that. We actually had a... It was recorded off of the TV on a VHS, and that's where I had seen it before. I mean, I would also say that this is totally fine to show to a child, despite the one... Reckless, horrifying, nightmarish scene of Goofy smoking for Anne Second. <laughs> also, uh, Jose smokes his cigar just a little. And I, <laughs> that's very true. If you're gonna let your kids watch Pinocchio, which has a lot of smoking. <laughs> right. And underage drinking, right? Yeah. Well, D- Dumbo has underage drinking. It has a baby elephant. Drink. I know. Anyway, show this show this to a kid. Yes. Do it now. <laughs> They will enjoy it. So uh, I think that's going to do it for Saludos Amigos. We're going to have to say Adios Amigos to Saludos Amigos. (laughs) But we'll be back, as we so often are, next week with 1944's The Three Caballeros. Mom, what do you think of this movie? We're birds of a feather. I remember it better. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I get the Three Caballeros song stuck in my head, and I don't know if you even remember it. But one of the songs is, they say, we are birds of a feather. No, I got it. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) So until next time. I broke Isaac. Until next time, when we are indeed birds of a feather. I'm, I'm me. (laughs) I'm Isaac. (laughs) I am me. We need a moment for you to calm down. I'm me! I'm mom. And it all started with a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>